Hey everyone, Keith here. A quick heads up before you listen to this episode featuring Deborah McCoy. Deborah's episode is an unreleased conversation from last year that closes out our ESG series, which you probably heard on the podcast. Her episode is a bit unique because she won't talk about her journey to Bain, but instead shares her approach to answering some of the world's toughest questions and how doing so leads our clients to make impactful investing decisions. After listening to Deborah's episode, I encourage you to listen to the other episodes in our ESG series that feature our Chief Sustainability Officer, Sam Israelit, our Global Managing Partner of ESG, Francois Faelli, our Chief Diversity Officer, Julie Kaufman, and a partner and friend of mine who's done some awesome ESG client work, Sasa Yusnowski. We really enjoyed recording this series and hope you take away how dedicated we are to ESG inside and outside the firm. Enjoy, take care, and let us know what topics you want us to cover on future episodes of the podcast. Thanks. I think there's an important place in the future of investing for trust building. I think that's important for leaders all over the world. And there is something about working in and around investing and capital, which requires leadership because of just how much impact investing has on everyone's lives. Welcome back to Beyond the Bios ESG series, where we've been spotlighting some of the leaders inside Bain, sharing our expertise, and touching on the importance of finding bold new ways to make a positive impact on our clients, our communities, and inside Bain. Today, we're welcoming Deborah McCoy, a partner in our San Francisco office who focuses on capital markets and the role ESG plays in them. She's also a longtime good friend of mine. Deborah, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Keith, for having me here. Typically on Beyond the Bio, we ask people to run through their career and their trajectory chronologically. I think people that are listening are going to be excited to hear something a little bit different this time. They can go on LinkedIn and see that you went to Howard, that you went to HBS, that you were at Bain, and that you had a lot of other roles in other organizations. But I know from knowing you as long as I have that you think about your career a little bit differently than most. So maybe you could talk through some of the things that you've done throughout your time and, and why you made the decisions that you made along the way. For sure. I think for each of us, we're really shaped by our early years and also later ones. But for for me, my formative environment was a little bit distinct. I grew up in a family that was really committed to a demand that we not watch television, which is kind of a strange place to start a discussion about what are my career themes. But I'm convinced that it was a demand, but also an encouragement. As a kid, I would ask, well, why? And even at a very young age, I accepted their rationale. My family was hopeful that we would develop our own sensibilities, our own imagination. If we wanted to tell stories, that we would do some storytelling and creation of our own. And also, if we were looking for answers to questions, real questions, not make-believe stories, that we would find resources and ways to answer those questions with them, with community around us with expert resources. So it was much more common as a kid to ask a set of sometimes really big questions. Why does the world do something like this or not? And we would successfully go through exactly that order. Well, one could ask her brother or sister or a family friend or go to the library and talk to a librarian or talk to a family friend who might have an idea about how this thing works. And that orientation I think, built a muscle that I might think about the world around me a bit differently. I interestingly also filled my time, probably in unusual ways versus the other kids around me. I was allowed to listen to news. So I found myself extremely oriented to public policy questions. I I didn't really uh, have any kind of interest in dolls, but I I did receive a few when Cabbage Patch Kids were popular. I I will admit I had a few. 
they were named after cabinet secretaries in the U.S. government. And I think that's just a reflection of the thing that was on my mind. I was really curious about how my country worked. And so I think that part of my growing up experience stands out. It certainly sometimes feels like the same topics have been on my mind for forever and ever. I think the second approach that that whole experience gave me was this idea that you may need to look far beyond yourself in partnership with others to to think about what's going on. So as I approached career decisions, I had been deeply committed to the idea that I would become a doctor and work in international public health. I was fortunate at a young age to travel really broadly. When I got to Howard, I was pre-med, but before I got to Howard, I used to do all kinds of pre-med-like programs, spend time at hospitals, uh, do little research projects growing up. So I was very committed to this idea that I would work in medicine. The thing I was solving for, the thing that was really on my mind is in the traveling I had done in different parts of the world, I was really mindful that I was raised in a country with quite high relative wealth to many of the places I was able to visit and found myself by my early teenage years really thinking that that was something I'd like to be involved with, um, thinking about what happens with people who are raised in other countries where income levels are lower and there might be dramatically less access to health. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. when I was 16, I started doing public health work in um, quite rural areas in a few different countries in Latin America. And actually through those efforts, I redoubled my interest in doing global public health as my career. It was after multiple occasions, after spending extended periods of time outside the U.S. doing public health work, that I started to question if public health was the right path for me. I didn't think that the public health work was any less important. What I thought was I wasn't sure that as a single doctor working on public health issues that I might have the scale of impact that I hoped to. And I started to see that there were a number of other issues related to public health economic development, education, the environment in particular, all of these other issues started to become very obvious to me. So I I did a bit of a step back right before my senior year in college and thought maybe there's one path for me to go down, which is public health. Human rights was also on my mind. I happened to work in a small town area where there were a number of refugees while I was in college. That was unexpected. There had been a, a political event in a nearby country. And so unusually, I was working not only in public health and with people with very low income levels, but also with refugees. And that really broadened the set of issues that I thought about. In in the midst of that, I, I ended up deciding to work at Bain, in part because I could see that business and the commercial sector had a relevance to the issues that I was thinking about that I hadn't observed as much in my earlier college years. And in part, I just wanted time to think again with all of this new information about what might be the right way to be involved in the world. So the first really big theme that was on my mind was I wanted to be globally involved for sure in my career. I wanted to work on issues that were related to how communities and society are put together, absolutely thinking about the environment and how it interacts with human rights and economic development, as well as health and education. But I I just started to doubt at that point in time that medicine was for me. And so I came to Bain with that on my mind. So let me ask you a question about that, because there are certainly a lot of ways to drive change in the world around us. And, you know, as someone who has several healthcare professionals in his family, that is a very noble cause. And you are certainly having a big impact on lives as a doctor, as a 
as a public health official in a local community, as you were starting to make that shift mentally and saying, you know what, I want to look at some of the systemic drivers and, and drive change on a much broader scale. How did you find mentors or how did you navigate that? You know, there wasn't a ton of information online. You were fortunate enough to have firsthand experience. But I would imagine that, you know, if you want to help education, growing up, people would say, well, you should be a teacher. Not you should think about opening a charter school network or working on education policy. And and it sounds like pretty early on in your journey, you made the the connection to there is very real change that can happen on the ground as, a, as an army of one. But there's also a lot of change that can happen on a global scale. And how, how did you navigate that journey and how did you make that transition and find good role models? I would give great credit to Howard University in showing me examples of, of people, alumni and friends of Howard who have over time done quite significant work nationally in whatever country there are uh, people from many nations represented at Howard and globally. My freshman year at Howard, my first week on campus, I went to go visit the International Affairs Center. There was an ambassador assigned to the center. Of course you did. Um, there have not been, <laughs> yes, <laughs> there have not been that many Black ambassadors in U.S. history. Certainly at the time when I started college, this was rare. I was very eager to meet the ambassador in residence on campus. And I owe a great credit to him, Ambassador Horace Dawson, for immediately orienting me to ways I could connect my interest in global issues into the bigger picture. Mm -hmm. He was highly encouraging that I would at least consider right. working in public policy. I think he's the first person who suggested the White House fellowship to me. I later applied for that fellowship many years later and received it. It's a nonpartisan, nonpolitical presidential appointment to work for one year with a cabinet secretary. And so I found ready examples across a number of arenas, whether it was art, individuals who were actors, but also working across their industry to amplify a set of issues. So I think I just saw so many examples of what it might look like to think about the big picture while at the same time being excellent in a specific domain that I was sure at Howard that there would be people who could think with me. There already were. The professors who I worked with were so invested in teaching and also connecting into their global sphere. So right. I, I had these as great examples. I did make an investment in the first year and a half after I graduated from Howard. I was committed to doing some work on my own to really summarize and distill the issues that I was thinking about. So I codified over a, a pretty sustained period. I set up a, a pace and a rhythm for myself to think about what are the issues on my mind? How do I think they relate together? And what commitments do I think I would like to make to myself personally and potentially to my career? But I haven't really thought in specific career terms in, in my whole life. Mostly these were issues that I knew I wanted to work on. Once I put that together and knew I had a coherent way of thinking about what was on my mind and communicating it, then I did go out actually. And I, by then, was working at Bain and found a wonderful reception from everyone I spoke with around me at Bain when I asked questions like, do you know somebody working in global public health at the international scale who's in a more mm -hmm. administration-like mm -hmm. role? Mm -hmm. Could I talk with that person to understand what is their work like? And I went through all of the issue areas interesting to me, environment. I spoke with a very early on water private equity fund. 
to understand, right. you know, would I want to spend my time there? And so roughly took all of the questions and all of the presuppositions and analysis I had done on my own. And then Bain and a, a very friendly network of people helped me interact with folks who were doing these roles in real time. That was very helpful to me to put together the big picture. So, Deborah, I want to ask maybe a little bit of a personal question about doing that. You know, a while back we had Mackenzie Morrison talking about employee wellness, employee well-being, and taking care of sort of your priorities in life and making sure you're living a whole life. You just mentioned a lot of things that you were doing while working at Bain, which is a pretty demanding job. And do you have any tips or advice or you know, reflecting back? How did you make the time to, to keep those priorities front and center while doing you know, great work for our clients? Because that's not easy to do. And you just sort of described how you made it happen. But, but what advice would you give to people who want to sort of maintain the passion and build the longer term goals while, while having a demanding career? My advice for trying to make sure that things you have a deep personal interest in don't get delayed until the end of career is actually to to talk about the things that are important to you. I always felt like at Bain, I could be who I was and I feel right now like I can be who I am. When I interviewed as a senior in college for Bain and Company, I, in my final round interview, mostly out of a commitment of the things that are important to me, I said to my interviewer, there are some things you need to know about me. I really care about, and I named these issues I really care about. And I said, I'm also very highly committed to the idea that these are not just concepts that are going to live somewhere else. I anticipate that if there are any opportunities to work on issues like this at Bain, I would like to know, and I need to know this is a place where I can openly talk about things I'm interested in so that if there is a client or a piece of pro bono work or you name it that involves things that really motivate me that I could at least hear about it. I realize I can't always get my first choice assignment of staffing or maybe timing won't work, but I felt like Bain was very receptive and I would go a step further on this idea of making time actively engaging in community service work has always been important to me. I did it all through college. I did it all through high school. I didn't want to stop that when I was at Bain and definitely working in client service in a pretty focused and sometimes intense environment, that's not always easy. But I actually spoke with my manager after my first year. I was working on a project. I wanted to be a mentor at a local public high school. I was in San Francisco. And the requirement of this mentorship program is that I had to be on site for at least one hour a week doing math tutoring with a young woman who's lovely and all grown up and at this stage. And that manager was pretty receptive. She said, well, this is unusual. I haven't had this kind of request. And I said, well, I could go generally first thing in the morning. And we just agreed. As long as my work was done and I didn't have a conflicting client meeting, I would generally have a default day and time to go to the school. Mm -hmm. And I also agreed with the school. I said, well, hey, I have this job. We do have clients. Sometimes I'm going to need to change the date and time. And they also agreed to be flexible. Sure, you could come later in the afternoon when you know in advance. And that way, expectations were set for the young woman, for my role, for the school. That worked. I mentored that young woman for the rest of the time I lived in San Francisco. And right now I serve on outside nonprofit boards. I have through really the majority of my career. So I think this question of making time, sometimes I don't want to undermine the fact that it can be challenging to have conversations in the workplace about things you think you need. But I certainly have felt committed that I don't think my life is defined by my career. I think that my work 
my professional efforts are one part of my humanity and I haven't expected to bifurcate the rest of my humanity to go anywhere. Leading an integrated life for me would mean I can bring many things that are important to me into the same frame of reference. I just have one life. I just have one body. I just am in one moment in time at the same time. That's how it works. So, Deborah, thinking about things globally and appreciating systems was on your mind when you joined Bain. And it sounds like you were able to continue to stay curious, stay involved, stay engaged, stay learning when you started at Bain. What was your casework like? With all the other things you had going on, let's not confuse the fact you were spending a lot of time doing client work because that's what we do. You know, what was what was that transition like for you? What did you learn? What did you take away from those experiences? I majored in Spanish language and literature, and I minored in chemistry and biology. <laughs> when I got to Bain, I knew the least, literally, in my class about financial modeling and business terms and all of these other things. I appreciated that even in my interview process, I never felt like that was a deficit. Everyone at Bain just met me where I was. I didn't know all the business terms in the world, but you know, we just talked about business issues and the terms that I had, and everyone accepted that. So when it came to my first case, there had been some discussion I later learned about what would be the best first case for me. So my first case, I ended up working on the marketing insights piece of the problem solving. That meant getting right into stores and talking to customers, which seems kind of boring, except this better technology that our client had was being outsold by a lot. When we presented the work as Bain to the executive team and board, as you might imagine, I was not a slated presenter, but I was there on site for the presentation and I had done all of this work. And during the presentation, someone ended up coming out and saying, they actually want to hear from the person who did the work. They have some questions because they thought it was wrong. They wanted to just understand more. So there I went and presented into, unexpectedly, the executive team and the board, which was a phenomenal, surprising, great way to have my first case play out. It's really awesome. And it's great to hear that you know, we always say that we give our ACs a ton of responsibility at Bain. And oftentimes they're the ones who are interviewing customers or looking at the survey data, benchmarking the competitors. And when the time comes to get the insights from the experts, regardless of what partner experience is on the team, the ACs are the experts. And it's cool to see that play out in your journey. I do want to keep us moving because you also have had an extensive career uh, outside of Bain. You also attended HBS, as did I, and you ultimately came back to the firm. But what were the questions you were asking yourself along the way, as well as you know, what was the question that you came back to Bain in some ways to answer once you got here? Sure. Well, it's interesting uh, having perspective now, being certainly older than when I was an AC right out of college. I can see now that I tend to think in terms of people and places and ideas. Sometimes those ideas are really big ideas and other times quite specific ones. And now I have a sense for a few more things than I did at that time, although I don't think I was unwise as a young person. I know what I want to engage with. And so if in my formative years, I was really trying to answer a question and solve the problem, now I spend a bit more time on understanding why does this question matter to me? And perhaps why does it matter to others? So my work at Bain focuses on sustainability, the environment and communities, and what's that interaction between them and businesses. That turns out to be an important question to me, but an important question to many people 
there are a wide range of perspectives. I try not to be prescriptive. I don't at all try to treat these topics like they're a rule, but I definitely, from the personal and career management perspective, I want to focus mostly on where and how I might want to offer a response to what has my attention. And these questions, as you now know, that have been on my mind have had my attention basically since I was 13 years old. I don't remember a time actually since then that I wasn't animated by, curious about, trying to maybe get a deeper understanding of these topics. And a lot of that's because I really care how society works. I don't think my early interest in news and public policy was just because I wanted information. I really am truly interested in how is this all put together? How might we all play? And it turns out business operators and investors have a very significant role in how things all come together. I don't think all the answers are in the policy realm. I don't think all the answers are in the nonprofit realm. They're certainly not all in the business and investing realm either. I've been fortunate to work across all of these sectors over the course of my career. And so coming back to Bain, I think because I've been reasonably agnostic about the environment that I would be in from which to address these animating topics, I've reasoned that this is an exceptional environment to be in to help decision makers better understand a set of topics that they may, might not be as familiar with. So now I've got a career long of familiarity, investing and operating and analyzing what's the interaction of business performance and all of these topics. And an average senior executive in a company has probably been working her way or maybe his way or their way up a ladder, maybe, or maybe they're starting a business, mm-hmm. but still haven't really been brokering in this kind of set of issues. So the partnership that can come from advising and collaborating with clients in our Bain model, I think is really interesting to me. And you're right, I have had a lot of roles, but right now it feels like this is a great place to share a lot of what I've learned with our clients in a way that can be uniquely additive. So Deborah, now that you're back at Bain, I'd like to talk about some of the questions and areas that you're exploring at Bain that are part of a long trajectory of your career in terms of following topics of how the world works and and how can we improve the world around us. And a lot of your energy now is focused in the arena of investing. And maybe you can talk a little bit about what you're doing there and what you're pursuing. I became fascinated with capital markets not long after my first case at Bain not fascinated in the way that I needed to work in them immediately, but actually intrigued by the the pure impact that capital flows have on all of us as individuals, communities, much more broadly at the global level. What are the ideas that capture investment? What are those that don't? Some pretty interesting things over time have, you know, failed to attract capital. I've been particularly interested over time in regions of the world that attract capital and don't. And so sustainable investing and the interest in environment and social issues as it relates to portfolios has certainly evolved over a long period of time with a quite pronounced spike in interest in the last uh, five or so years. I think anybody who's reading you know, newspapers or right. you know, business press We'll see that. And there's a couple of perspectives that I think matter. One, 
I sometimes say it a, a few times in a conversation because I think it makes sense. I don't think ESG, as defined environment, social governance, or sustainability, I don't think these are rules. There's a lot of debate, a lot of different ways of rightfully that people could see what's the role of any of these topics in business decision-making. So at the most foundational level, even that debate of where do these topics belong as it relates to markets, capital flows, investing is an open question that's being answered in real time. There are many opinions. Some have come to firm answers, but I tend to hold sophisticated questions with an open hand. I think if we attempt to be too simplistic, we lose the ability to to honestly answer questions. So can you describe that ecosystem a little bit more? There's some people listening who may not be as familiar with it, but what are the major sort of components of that ecosystem that you're involved in today? And maybe you can paint a picture for what they are and how they interact with each other to drive some of the systems and things that we're seeing around us today. Absolutely. There are large pools of capital that are invested globally. You know, I guess uh, on balance, there's maybe $100 trillion of professionally managed assets, give or take. Reasonable people could debate that number, but a lot. Where is all that money from and what is it doing? Different countries and different parts of the world have quite distinct approaches to thinking about pensions. And so the underlying societal commitments between individuals and, in some cases, their country, not employer, means there's this idea that when you're in older and more advanced years, you might have pension coming to you. Those big investment pools are always looking for a quite long-term horizon out into the distance to understand how could they generate investment return such that the people who would benefit from their investment activities would ultimately have some kind of payment coming to them. So that ecosystem itself has been focused over time on issues that I would say how do investment returns generate themselves with generally portfolio managers, asset managers, or maybe general partners if you're talking about a private equity fund, uh, but also other issues like governance Mm -hmm. and increasingly questions related to the environment and sometimes also communities. So it's not just pensions. It could be endowments, large universities, hospitals, other civic organizations, foundations have large endowments many times. They will have their long-term returns in mind and end up quite powerful actors when it comes to capital markets. So one way to look at capital markets is you think uh, you might see, I don't know, on your phone, some news flash about a stock market, or you might read about an alternative investment vehicle, a venture capital fund or a private equity fund, and you might say, oh, that's investing in. That is. And also, those groups themselves have often raised money from these pensions and endowments and foundations. They're actually receiving allocations in many instances to manage those assets so that they can grow in some kind of diversified portfolio for the long term and generate returns. So it's not just for retirees. You and I attended a university that has a large endowment, and some of the programs we benefited from on campus came through, in some part, investment returns from an endowment. So, so, so thinking about this structure and then introducing in a set of new concepts, more and more climate, carbon, environment, communities, human rights, that's what's happening. And it's a very interesting move because there's no set of rules that says this is how anybody has to invest. There are a lot of choices and preferences ultimately. And so what we see playing out are evolving preferences and evolving interests in portfolios 
in some cases, evolving technical analyses mm-hmm. on what generates risk and return, all playing out at the same time in the same market. So there's quite a lot of heterogeneity right now mm-hmm. in how individual participants in capital markets might be thinking about how to invest. What does a classic, what should a portfolio look like? Right at the core is this question. What is the relationship between insert the issue and the economic return? And by the way, the answer may be there's no relationship. So let's talk about that a little bit, Deborah. How are you working with clients and increasing their awareness and competency as it relates to ESG and the perspective that some of their investors have? Because that's that's where you're spending a lot of your time today, and and it might be insightful to share a little bit about how that works and and where you're focused. Keith, I do focus on the public capital markets and the private capital markets with our clients and what's the role of environment, climate, carbon, community, human rights, any of the E, S, and G, environment, social, and governance topics within it. And there's a really broad range of, I think, demands on today's executives and leaders. Just before I joined Bain, I was one such leader, a senior investor in the finance industry, being asked to rigorously take on new pieces of analysis to understand what's the role of all of this and now how do we play a role in that case for fiduciary investors who are really committed to having portfolio returns over time for their constituents. That's a serious role. And you don't want to mess up. You personally want to do that job well. Mm-hmm. And I think societally, we want right. decisions that are robust and well-informed. So a lot of my time is spent with clients thinking about how are they making decisions? What information do they take into account? And actually, what do they need to learn? So a fair bit of what I end up doing with clients is some amount of teaching and training and then problem solving together based on some kind of new awareness. How might they think or should they think differently about the next way they'll allocate capital or think about running a business. And as you talk about that capital allocation, how is ESG being incorporated into your clients' portfolios and how are they thinking about it post-education and looking towards the future? Sure. Well, Bain, as everyone, I think, listening to this, uh, if you've gotten this far on the podcast, you probably know we have a pretty uh, scale practice working with financial investors, private equity investors, and a number of other investment industry participants. These are investors who are looking at a multi-year horizon. If you buy an asset, you'll want to deeply think about the exit environment in five or four or six or whatever the years is going to be into the future. So we find private equity investors especially thinking about the shape of their portfolio, where they would like to increase exposure. And I would say when I reference increased exposure, that might not mean anything to folks who don't work in finance. You could think about an investor considering specific themes. Maybe they would like to do more around education. Maybe they would like to do more around green technology. It also introduces some complication. A lot of the technologies around the environment that are being developed are at a quite early stage. Mm -hmm. So interestingly, some growth stage investors and later stage investors, they have a commitment with the people who allocated capital to them to invest in a certain way. It's quite possible that being involved in the energy transition for them may not mean investing in early stage technology that's not proven. Maybe they'll need to work on transitioning existing assets to have a different environmental profile 
there could be a lot of opportunity in doing that, but I don't want to trivialize the activity. It would also be hard. I think they'd need to get agreement with their investors that they would hold assets which might actually appear out of favor, but for the sake of trying to generate a different kind of return profile and build a different kind of business. So we're seeing a wide spectrum, especially focused on energy transition. And that's what the financial investors and then with corporations, undoubtedly, we can see around us a greater interest. I don't know that the average consumer just grabs on to ESG as the words that are top of mind. But I do think that average people all over the world have a greater and and now growing interest in how companies interact with communities and Mm -hmm. how responsible they are to the physical environment. This, for operators of businesses, introduces for some a set of considerations that they maybe always had, and for others, newer areas that they need to think about seriously and start to decide, do they want to change their operations in, in any way? Do they want to change their strategy? Maybe their operating model wasn't built to take into account the procurement person now can't look for the lowest cost item. She or he or they need to actually look for the item that resolves multiple objectives at the same time. Yes, cost, also environment, also supply chain, worker rights, wages. There could be a number of issues to solve in just one decision. So we're we're finding and I'm seeing much more integrated um, and broad considerations being brought into the decision-making frame. And that adds complexity to any management team. They may have done things the same way really well for a long time. time. And all of a sudden, they need to learn how to do something a little different really well and hopefully do that for a long time. Yeah. And I I remember when when Manny took on leadership role at the firm, one of the first things he did was change the, the value creation part of our mission statement to remove economic Right, and make it about value, which talks about multiple bottom lines. And I also know from working so closely in our DEI efforts that, you know, we are thinking about what we do with our clients and what we do inside our company, but we're being much more assertive and vocal about what we're doing in our communities as well. And and that could be us as a consulting firm and, and what we do, you know, volunteering and mobilizing in our communities, but it could be a retail client thinking about what happens as they open stores or have to have to, you know, close stores or, or relocate things. Um and, and really paying attention to the impact that has on the community and not just looking, as you said, at the sort of economics behind the decision, but looking at all of the all of the sources and and, and minuses of value as they make those decisions, which is Really neat to see how that all fits together. So, Deborah, as we close here for people listening, hopefully they've they've heard a lot and understand some of the complexity. You know, this is not an easy topic. I think you said at the young age of 13, you did not take on easy questions about how the world works. And that trend has certainly continued throughout your career. But what gets you excited as you think about the next couple of years? I think there's an important place in the future of investing for trust building. I think that's important for leaders all over the world. And there is something about working in and around investing and capital, which requires leadership because of just how much impact investing has on everyone's lives and they don't get the say, in which case, if you are in a decision-making role and senior in a company and making decisions about how capital is allocated inside of a company, it's a big societal leadership role. Clearly, you have your own stakeholders, your own shareholders. You won't know all the people who are impacted, but there is, I think, an existential responsibility implicit in business. I ultimately think that's what drew me to think business could be an interesting space for me, even though the questions that animate me now and always have been much more broad and societal. So I think this is 
a serious moment. There's an imperative that's quite real. And there's a great ability to build things anew before us. It's ahead of us. The future is ahead of us. So the past is there, but investing is always in the future. Deborah, I want to thank you for coming on today. As I mentioned at the top, we've known each other for a very long time, and I've been fortunate enough to have so many friends on the podcast. Uh, And along the way, including today, I've been able to have some family on the podcast as well. So thank you for your time today. And we look forward to seeing the things that you do and potentially getting an update from you in in the months and years ahead. 